Hey, listeners, thank you for tuning in again to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. This may be episode 100. We are right around that number, including bonus episodes that have come out. Thank you so much for listening for all this time. I cannot tell you how much it means to me. So thank you. A couple of quick updates, and then we'll jump right into the episode. First off, we have now picked our two barrels of Jack Daniels Barrel Proof Rye. I was down in Nashville in June, picked two barrels that were completely different from each other, but both just knocked our socks off. So those are going to be going live sometime in the early fall. I will keep you up to date on that. Number two, we have multiple other barrel picks coming. The first one that's probably going to come out is going to be a barrel rye finished in Armagnac casks. This was chosen in partnership with Perry over at This Is My Bourbon Podcast. So you co-listeners are really going to love that. And we are brainstorming some sticker ideas right now that is going to make it even more attractive for your shelf. Hopefully you'll drink it, but it'll be good for the shelf too. Another barrel pick coming out, Spirits of French Lick, is getting chosen as we speak. And I'll keep you updated on that. Last thing, and then I'll let you go right into the episode, is... During my last update, I mentioned that there were four spots available at that top tier of $25 a month. At $25 a month on Patreon, you get not only first access to, well, everything, and access to everything that I put out, but you also get top tier priority for barrel picks when they come out. You also get the opportunity to join me on a barrel pick. Already, we've had members of that tier down with me in Nashville for the Jack Daniels pick, helping out in the Spirits of French Lick pick, and also given some input on the barrel pick. So every pick from now and going forward is going to have a Patreon member, at least one from that tier, on the pick with us. As of today, there is only one spot remaining in that $25 tier. So if you've been holding out, if you're pushing it off for any reason, I'd say jump on it because this plot is probably going to go quickly. With that, I'll say, you know, of course, if the $25 is out of your range right now, we still want you to be a supporter. We still want you to be involved. The next tier down, $5 a month, is going to get you that second access to all barrel picks. I can't speak for the $25 tier, but pretty sure there'll still be some barrels and bottles available for you at the $5 a month tier. That just really helps us grow, covers expenses, and keeps the podcast going with these awesome guests that we've got. All right, I have talked for almost three minutes. That is a ton of time. I am sorry for that. But with that, that's all the updates for this month. I'll keep you updated as they go along. Now, here's a new episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskering Podcast. Today, we are going up New York's Hudson Valley to Copper Sea Distilling, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Aaron Kravig, who's the assistant distillery manager. He's been with Copper Sea for a few years now, and I got to meet him a few weeks ago when I was up there to visit. Aaron, welcome on. Hi, everyone. All right. So uh, first off, just you know, give us a, uh, an intro to Copper Sea's development. What's the history of Copper Sea itself? Uh, well, I, I, I believe, uh, you know, it was, uh, it's a, it's a distillery that was founded with the idea of creating whiskey in the manner that whiskey would be made in the Hudson Valley. Uh, 
um, you know, pre-prohibition colonial era times, which, uh, you know, which means obviously we source everything uh, from the Hudson Valley, all of our grain. And, uh, but uh, the, 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 the method, methodology and methodology in which uh, we, uh, we produce all of our whiskey is, you know, as close as possible to how one would have done it here with very minimal, uh, uh, with, with, with no, with no additives whatsoever. Um, all of our, all of our grain is malted by hand on site by us and, uh, <clears throat> and all of our fermentation is, uh, is, uh, done without, with, 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 without additive, um, or, uh, or, uh, you know, modern, 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 uh, modern, chem modern chemicals or what have you. Um, and, uh, and then we use, uh, direct fire copper pot stills, which, uh, you know, would have been pretty much what people would have, you know, the method of distillation would have been, uh, during those times. And, uh, yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of how, you know, that's kind of how, uh, <clears throat> the the distillery was developed and you know and we still hold to those uh to those values today and to that methodology and uh, yeah awesome so yeah coppersy was one of the earlier distilleries in new york to come online after the, uh, the farm distillery law and when the craft boom started uh, and but a particular note is that it's from the hudson valley Right. It's uh, you know, to give people an idea, it's it's literally across the bridge and up a road from New Paltz, from Main Street, New Paltz. Um, we've had a couple of distilleries from New York, both in the city, upstate, uh, Black Button, and Rochester, um, but we haven't really had one in the valley itself yet. And so I think you're the first one from the valley. So there are a bunch up there, and we'll get to them hopefully shortly, but, uh, you know, to you and to Coppersy, what does it mean to be specifically a Hudson Valley distillery? Well, I mean, I, I feel like what, what, you know, what, what we're, uh, what we're producing is like purely like a flavor of the Hudson Valley, you know, I mean, as much as, like, as I, I mean, I, as much as, 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 as much as we possibly can, we're making whiskey the way it would have tasted here, you know, a few hundred years ago and uh, and um you know i mean that's like that's the flavor of the hudson valley it's it's an abundant abundant valley and like, you know i mean it creates you know it, it produces some of like the the you know uh the finest flavors and textures of, of, of for any palate in the world like um and uh you know i think that really holds true also for any distilled spirit any you know any 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 cider around here like certainly and, um, and, and yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, even, even with our process, we, we encourage so much wild fermentation in our mashes, you know, and, and, and um, you know, it, it, it really is, uh, you know, uh, highlighting a sense of place, um, uh, so much, so much more than just try, than, than, than we are trying to create, you know, something that's universally, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, appealing to everybody and which uh you know it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of complex and challenging challenging uh challenging flavors and things like that and but i found that a lot of things around here really are and yeah and i think that's the beauty of the hudson valley it's the reason i love it here it's the reason i haven't 
wanted to leave since I moved here like 15 years ago. And, you know, it's uh, it's a uh, it's pretty it's a pretty wonderful place. Yeah. And and just to take a quick detour for your own journey to getting to Coppercy, I wanted to pull this line out from from your bio on the website, which was uh, Aaron has worked and managed for many years in in local wine and spirit shops where he developed an eclectic and broad taste for unique and challenging libations. So oh, yeah. <laughs> before we get deeper into Coppercy, I got to ask what, if you can share, what kind of things made you think of that language in particular? Oh my gosh, man. I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was managing a, a small wine shop for a while, a small like natural wine shop for a while. And oh my gosh, the stuff that people would bring in, you know, it was like, it was like, yeah, this is an organic natural wine from Texas. It tastes like sweet tarts and baby poop. You know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, that's what it tastes like, you know, so, you know, but then, uh, but then, you know, you have the other, you know, the other, the other realm of that where it's like, you have, uh, you know, like actually, you know, good wine with like complex, with complex, complex flavors that you won't get in, um, and uh uh um you know mass produced uh mass produced uh mass produced product it just it just doesn't you know it just doesn't occur it just doesn't occur and it's it's kind of different it's like mass produced product creates uh creates uh um normalization of flavor and it uh, and it doesn't really challenge anybody so you know um yeah 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 it was a uh, it's 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 like many many years of that but you know it's like that's the that's the rewarding thing about it is like finding stuff that's you know not not like anything else and 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 can still challenge the palate and you know uh you don't really get like wrapped up in just like the same sort of rote notes of a single wine which i see people do a lot too you know um working in the retail environment like that like you, you see people you know and and everybody loves like their comfort their comfort you know their comfort drink or you know what 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 does it for them at the end of the day or you know <laughs> what they love what they like favorite food but um you know but and uh, i don't know but it, you know it takes a little bit more of an adventurous adventurous palate to like get into those things um for most people but you know and but you know and that's the thing when when you're working in a business like that and you have access to tasting this wide variety of things that are you know it's like 25 dollars bo- a bottle for like a lot of this stuff and most people don't have you know money to like try like 20 different things like that like in a month or even a year sometimes you know so <clears throat> but yeah but you know that's 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 the kind of education that you get uh doing something like that so you know did you ever i mean those typically on wines i'm sure those sound I mean sakes uh, and you know everything, everything. I, I was gonna say what what do you think some of the weirder or well weird is not the right word I guess let's say let's use your word more uh challenging to the palate spirits that you had to try uh probably probably like oh gosh have you ever have you ever heard of like Batavia or rock it's like a it's like a it's like one of the oldest spirits like in the and it was one of the biggest commercial spirits in like the elizabethan era um and it was this fermented it was it, it was they, they used fermented red rice from indonesia um and 
sugar cane. So it was like somewhere in between this like kind of like sake and rum, but mm. it was very plentiful for sailors um, across much of much of the world. And uh, it was really and it was like one of the first rum punches ever. <laughs> but this stuff, I mean, I totally recommend like trying it and making rum punch out of it because it was and, and it was like, you know, in Indonesia, like and in places, you know, where sailors like frequented around that area, it was plentiful and cheap. But in Eng like in England, for for example, it was uh, it was one of the most expensive spirits in the world, um, you know. It, and then in the in the elizabethan era but yeah and if you get a bottle of it now it's like very very funky it's very wild um <clears throat> it doesn't have many things that like modern spirits uh real re that people really enjoy <laughs> about modern spirits um uh, you know i mean like a lot of people like vodka because it doesn't really taste like anything you know I mean, this stuff kind of tastes like, uh, you know, like a funky old shoe in some in some cases because because it, you know, it's really weird. And if you drink it straight, then it's, you know, which is and it's kind of weird because it's like an expensive sort of thing, too. You know, so it's like if you drink it straight, then it's kind of silly. But if you drink it in a punch, then it makes a lot more sense. But, um, you know, the, you know, stuff like that. It's like, it's like you know, it's it's it's, it's not. It's, a, it's not the most accessible thing to get into without without uh, some research, too, I've found, you know, but uh, yeah, that, you know, that's what that's what I like about it, though. Um, yeah, I guess that that's 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 a, that's a pretty good example. I'd say. <laughs> I've never heard of that and I'm now going to have to look it up. I can't guarantee I'm going to know. I try yeah. I have a rule. I'll try anything, almost anything once. Right. Very few things I won't try. Like I won't try the. um uh, habushu from japan uh-huh uh-huh um and for people who are listening that is a uh variety of either sake or sometimes awamori with a snake inside it oh, oh. And, um i just i can't <laughs> i just can't do it um yeah it's supposed to increase you know virility and do all these magical things that some of these and the only thing I could think about is there are, there are two different methods of killing a snake and neither of them are really appealing to me. So um, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, really? I'm going to pass on that one, but most things I'll try at least once. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually I, it's a good transition because I, uh, I wanted to mention this part of the episode that. So when I came up to visit Coppercy, uh, we were going to a fair nearby in the fairgrounds off New Paltz and uh I tried Coppercy maybe, I don't know, three, four years ago. And I was just getting into whiskey, like really getting into it at the time. Wanted to try everything. I tried a few things, tried what at that point was the uh, Excelsior Rye, uh, the Big Angus Unmalted. And I'll be honest, at the time I came away thinking, all right, this is, well, the Big Angus, I had no idea what to make of that. <laughs> um, we'll get to that later i have a question on that one but uh i was like all right this stuff is good maybe like another year or two it's just gonna make and when i came back uh this year i tasted exactly that and you know it had gotten more mature there were things kind of t more together if you will um 
in the flavors that you were going for, the way that you were describing it to me in person, the flavors all made sense. They lined up. The process seemed to have just come together in a really nice way. And it made me kind of revisit and think about, okay, what other distilleries, brands, et cetera, should I retry, you know, that are, especially ones that are smaller, that are craft, that need time to just build up their own profiles. So it was, I thought it was really nice to see just the change in Coppercy and and what you guys have accomplished over the past couple of years while maintaining that kind of pre-prohibition style of, of whiskey. It's been exciting for sure. So, you know, just uh, jumping in and one more thing about the founding. So your uh, founder, Christopher, the chief distiller and blender, he's also co-founder of the Empire Rye Whiskey Association, founding right. member of New York State Distillers <laughs> Guild. Um, because we're going to talk about rye a lot in this episode, just thought it was worth uh, revisiting Empire Rye for a second. So we've talked about empire rye in the past with black button distilling with king's county van brunt but um just to give a little fresher can you give us the rundown on what makes an empire rye um well an empire rye has to be composed of i believe at least 65 percent rye if i'm not mistaken um 50 to 60 percent new york rye um the grain has to be sourced in new york um i believe is the is the uh or within like 50 miles of the border of new york something like that and then much like other whiskeys um aged in new american oak for a minimum of two years um yeah yeah i mean the guidelines are you know pretty simple um but uh but yeah i i I, yeah to make to make that new york product i guess right yeah absolutely right so with with christopher being on the you know the co-founder of this association and on the distillers guild um does does that impact how Copper C operates on a kind of day-to-day basis or how you're oh, thinking no, about oh, the next sep- product? I'm sorry. It's 75%. It's 75%. I'm, I'm sorry. What, what was the okay. question? Right. So I was thinking with, with Christopher on the, you know, as a co-founder and a board of on the board members of all these different things, um, does it, does that affect Copper C kind of at a day-to-day basis or um, does his, or does it affect the next decisions that you're making in terms of like another product to create? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, you know, we're pretty much, we're pretty much, you know, um, we've got a pretty good, uh, pretty good flow down. So, you know, I, um, I mean, and a lot of those things, uh, a lot of those things are, you know, I, I, I couldn't speak on, on them for him. Um, you know, mostly because I, I, I don't really, uh, you know, confer with him about any of that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, so fair enough. I mean, so let's, I mean, we can jump right into the, uh, the first product that I think I 
ever tried from Coppercy, which was, like I said, used to be called the Excelsior Rye. Right. And now called the Coppercy Empire, Empire Straight Rye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, just curious, I think you told me in person, but I wanted to ask again, um, just the reasoning behind the rebranding. Well, I think most uh, it mostly had to do with matching the 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 rest of our of our bottle of our labeling, um, you know, which at this point is pretty extensive. I think we have like twelve or thirteen different um, different labels. Um, so it, it it made sense to 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 switch, you know, our most uh, our most prevalent and our most prolific. um bottling to match uh you know the rest of our the rest of our lineup there and um you know and i mean they did they did really great work with the color with the color job on it too it's like you know they put like the color scheme with the kind of looks like that you know that statue of liberty sort of green like you know that green coppery uh coppery look and you know, I think it looks great, but yeah, I mean, I think it just makes sense that, you know, just for brand recognition, just to, just to have all of our labels, uh, <laughs> you know, designed the same, just makes a lot more sense just in terms of, you know, brand recognition, um, you know. Fair enough. And, you know, for a rye, you can't go wrong with green. Absolutely. So, and it did keep the, you know, going from Excelsior, which is New York state's, uh, motto for out of staters, uh, so going from Excelsior to Empire, you know, keeps it keeps the New York flavor kind of going on in more ways than one. So absolutely appreciate that. Absolutely. So as you mentioned earlier, Copper Sea is one of you know a handful of distilleries in the U.S., uh, even a handful worldwide. Who you have your own malting floor, and do your own malting. Yes. And um, I found it. It's it's a. Uh, a bit serendipitous we've got there are so few distilleries doing that having their own malting floor and here we've got at least two right here in the valley we've got um, you and um, hill rock also does that yes and it's i, I mean i can't put it more simply than you know why because <laughs> it's not it's not necessarily the most economical or the easiest process so um dig a little deeper for me into why do it and how does it differentiate you um i mean i i I could i couldn't speak to the to uh you know why (laughs) like why we do it (laughs) i mean i i i think it's fun (laughs) like you know but i I, you know i I feel like we're I, i mean going from like from like raw grain to the bottle in one place i think you know has not really just an ideological effect and uh, an ideological reason uh but i i mean it for me personally just because i'm performing every function of of the whiskey making in the place um it puts things together for me in such uh, a more personal way uh that i i i did i don't really um I can't really see myself like just receiving a bunch of malted grain and then just going ahead with that. You know, 
that mm-hmm. feels like impersonal to me now <laughs> but, but i mean you know you know it's i mean like i you know it's like uh <laughs> um uh but I, I i mean i think i think things are so much more important when they're process oriented too you know when when uh you know when you're not lacking like some uh some integral uh piece of 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 your entire puzzle um you know for me it's a little bit more satisfying but um i mean you know it's like then if we didn't train everybody who is here to uh to malt grain then you know what what you know then why would you know how would we be able to malt to do like interesting malt varieties like we do you know um and i mean that's like the core of like you know our one of our one of our one of our most uh i think unique spirits the green malt is that uh you know you couldn't get away with making anything like that nor would anybody even think of doing anything like that or or ordering from a malt factory a bunch of uh half malted wet grain um you know it's like it, nobody's gonna the factory can't do that for you um uh you know so um you know so like the, i i feel like it's it's become a personal thing for me but also it would be impossible to do uh to make the more unique spirits that we make if we didn't just do this all by hand on our own and I mean, I've been, I've looked around for straight rye malts in America for a few years now, and I've only been able to find maybe like five or six. And I, and I'm pretty sure that all of them are hand malted or they were sourced from a malt house where somebody there knows how to hand malt things. And that's how they got it. Um, But yeah. Right, right. Because you'd need, I mean, so what, what we're talking about, we're talking about the the big Angus, yeah, uh, green malt, and well, and our and our yeah, and our and our uh, and our straight rye malt as well, our bottled and bond straight rye malt. Right, and and straight rye malt. Uh, well, the the Angus itself is its own thing, just because it's all the um, <laughs> it's all green barley in there. Yeah, it's entirely. And, actively germinating green malt right. so malt, i guess you really on a practical level malt. right right so on a practical level you couldn't bring that in from anywhere else because it would continue to malt on the way to no it. no not yeah. at all i mean it's and i mean there's like yeah and it's incredibly time intensive too i mean there's even certain times of year you you wouldn't be able to do it because like say if it were like or if it were barley harvest uh planting season uh the the malt would uh just accelerate far too quickly to right. uh to even be like time uh you know um time to, to with, does he even give you time to do it unless you have like a you know a pretty a pretty sizable team of people doing that which is you know it's uh not really that feasible but but yeah That's yeah good. yeah i mean it's like you know, you know how are you gonna do this stuff if if uh if everybody isn't malting all the time it takes a long time to learn how to do this too you know to learn how to malt well it's like uh oh geez you know all kinds of things happen you know and it's like um you know and it's uh 
it's it's a it's a very uh it's a very involved process but i mean it's kind of a wonderful thing to be a part of too. <laughs> you know it's a, it's it's amazing to learn how to do and uh you know it's very rewarding at the end of it as well yeah. sure and uh, you know as i mentioned earlier the, the big angus was i wasn't quite sure what to do with it at first just because it's it's so as we're saying it's so rare to have that material and uh, that the result is of course very different it tastes it doesn't taste like anything that you've had before no because no one else is doing it so i struggled and i still kind of struggle in a way to contextualize it right you know i if if i want to if i'm having trouble kind of getting tasting notes or or not getting tasting notes but i guess figuring out how to describe something to people i'll lean on a comparison if i really am having trouble um, and I could give notes for the Angus, but I was, of course, I couldn't contextualize it because there was just nothing else like it. And I found that a once intimidating from a writing perspective, um, but also fascinating because it's just, it's a different method of uh, working with the barley. You know, we, we had a recent episode with um, Riachi in a distillery in Lebanon where they're sun drying the malted barley right and that lends different flavors than anything you're going to get from kiln dried or air dried or peat peat smoked to dry sure. it uh, and it, so it's it's very different um so i would definitely encourage people to go up and uh visit to get to try some of this because it's by having the malt house there it just is so different there and eh, I, I love it and plus, again, where where else are you going to, chances are, where else are you going to get to see an active malting floor on a distillery? Just not, just doesn't happen very often. There are, uh, almost everybody outsources the malting. So, which lends to what you were saying about it being very time intensive, very uh, labor intensive. That's uh, where monkey shoulder comes from, which is from turning the malt. So... Uh, it's have uh, you gotten, quite the have you monkey shoulder yet. No, it's quite the activity. Turning them all. I don't know. No, not really. I, I definitely have done it long enough. Yeah, <laughs> okay, you're still you're still a young guy. So yeah, I um, mean, it's like you know. But that's the thing, though. I mean, like we don't do it all day. You know what I mean? Like we do it like sure. you know we do it like once or twice, three times a day, maybe. Like, and that's you know, it's like maybe you know, maybe a couple of days out of the week. And that's really it. You know, it's like, it just, it, it just gets added into the schedule at these different times. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like it's because, you know, it's not where we're not overproducing, you know, at this point. So it's, uh, you know, it becomes a, like a nice part of the schedule, but you know, um, it, well, it makes its own schedule too, though. That's the thing about it. <laughs> like you really can't, <laughs> You really can't like be like thirty minutes away from like the still from the malt house and like be all right because sometimes you got to go there at like eleven at night, you know, four in the morning. Like you know, you just really you gotta you know you do have to be on top of it, and that's like and it's not and and that's just not and you, that's just regular malting, you know. Um, sure. As, you know, especially depending on what time of year it is, it's like it gets it gets it it demands like attention it demands attention but yeah yeah so 
once you've got the malt or uh, the grain in general, I should say, so whether you're using malted uh, or unmalted rye in some for some recipes. So once you've got the grain, uh, let's go into the distillation. So what is your distilling? Well, I guess what is your I should let's take a step back. What is your fermenting and then distilling process look like? Well, we ferment in open open top uh birch tanks. They're like four hundred gallons, I think. And uh and that we have you know, the 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 water is like preheated. We we mash in using an industrial mixer and uh and yeah, and then um introduce uh just as much air from out from from outside as we can um we, we use a air compressor to just uh just really 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 shoot the mash full of as much ambient and uh natural yeasts as we possibly can um yeah uh, we do use a brewer's yeast but I mean, and this is like a th this is a thing that that fluctuates so much with the time of year too, because some certain times of year, like you could just tell that the yeast content in the air is significantly stronger in terms of uh, yeast that will brew natural yeast that will brew, um, that will brew an alcohol. <coughs> Excuse me, but uh, yeah, yeah, um. And and I you know I think it's pretty straightforward except for the fact that we use open top fermentation tanks in in a barn and uh and you know don't we you know and um yeah <laughs> you know it's a it's a pretty loose system and it's uh it's very open to the elements but you know that creates uh that cre you know that creates a natural natural flavor you know I mean this is you know it's uh it's it's definitely a product that is meant to be distilled <laughs> it's. A, it's sweet and it's funky and uh i probably wouldn't drink too much of the uh of that distiller's beer directly from that vat but <laughs> it's it's good enough to distill though <laughs> that's yeah. fair most we've talked about most distiller beers is are not for oh, man. not drinkable even if you add a lot of hops they're just not drinkable oh um, man but before we move to distillation I just have a quick question that i've thought of which was yeah um you know rye is just famous for gumming up and you know just forming those chains trapping the carbon dioxide in the fermenters and just exploding out of the top um have i guess my usual question would be have you had that problem but i think it goes without saying but instead i'm curious if you're using a malted rye uh. do you have the same experience Oh, I'm not sure actually. We have we haven't distilled a malt rye in a number of years now, so I don't I I I I I have I don't have any notes on that. This month's Impact Spotlight is on White Heather and McNair's blended whiskeys, and the tales of the two men who made these venerable brands what they are. The first is Billy Walker, a 2021 Icons of Whiskey Hall of Fame inductee and owner of the Glenallachy. Another Impex brand and a recent podcast guest, Billy has over five decades of experience in the Scotch world. With White Heather unshow filtered blended whiskey, Billy returns to his roots. 
White Heather was relaunched in 2021 with a 21-year-old blended scotch, and is now joined by a 15-year-old edition. Both feature 47% single malt in their blend and draw from top stocks in Isla, Speyside, and the Highlands. The 15-year-old is matured in American and Spanish oak casks for a beautiful blend of honey, malt, wispy smoke, and candied citrus. The 21-year-old is matured in American oak and cherry butts for 18 years before a final three years in PX and Oloroso punchins. This is plus time in medium toast and medium char Appalachian oak for a final burst of sweetness and complexity. The second story is of Harvey McNair. McNair was the essence of a Victorian Scotsman. He accomplished many trades and travels in his lifetime, and more than anything, he loved and championed the natural, unadulterated color of whiskey. Pure gold, as he called it. Pure gold was the foundation of the whiskey blends he created. Today's McNair unchill-filtered blended whiskey, thanks to Billy Walker, honors Harvey's legacy, marrying peated malt, Highland, Isla, and Speyside with Glenallachie spirit. This is a blend for the peat lovers. To find all of these whiskeys and any Impex product, visit a premium spirits retailer near you. You can also visit Impex at www.impexbev.com or email office at impexbev.com for those harder-to-find releases. The Whiskey Ring Podcast is proudly sponsored by Impex Beverages. No worries. That's a, that's a good question to think about. I got I to gotta think about what would happen there. Because, uh, yeah. the, you know, if you're... If you're putting in, I'm just thinking through, if you're putting in bar, malted barley, you're going to have the enzymes that break down that, those bonds, but the malted rye is not going to have that enzyme. Hmm. So, right. It's an interesting, interesting thought. Yeah. It's an interesting thought though. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's, I don't know, but the most, the most problems I have is actually with a bourbon mash, but um, there's just... <sighs> all sorts of issues with like regelatinization um but oh, sorry. so i haven't heard that before <laughs> with the with the bourbon mash what do you what kind of uh, what do you experience regelatinization mm. it's a weird problem where basically just crisco forms at the top of your mash huh. and uh it restricts oxygen from uh from um getting into the mash and it restricts heat from leaving the mash yeah so it, it creates certain issues when you're trying to bring the temperature down uh to uh to where you would uh where you would introduce uh your mash your, 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 your i'm sorry i'm sorry um your malt yeah. Right, right. And too much heat, you're going to end up killing off that uh, the yeast as well too too quickly. Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't add the yeast until it was significant until the heat was significantly dropped. Um and actually like the regelatinization actually uh ceases when you add enough of the malted uh grain mm -hmm. because of that enzyme. Mm -hmm. Uh but before you can introduce it it will uh it'll literally just make this thick layer of crisco like right at the top that keeps heat from escaping the mash like the liquid mash so it um yeah yeah and then it kind of ex ex exacerbates that problem but yeah um 
I don't, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the, what, what the issue is. It's like maybe too long in heat, but yeah, I've had, I've had, I've had that issue with, with, with a gummier mash with, uh, with bourbon much more than rye actually. But yeah. Hmm. Gonna have to look more into that. I'm now I'm curious. Um, all right. So, so you're getting it, uh, mashed, fermented, and now it's going into the stills. So what does that look like? Well, um, so we put our mash, our full mash, directly into the still. Um, we don't filter anything out. Uh, our stills are direct fire copper pot stills, um, which are pretty tough to clean <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, they require a great deal of attention to uh, heat, uh, say heat application. Um, you know, and I, I mean, for me, it's like, I mean, it's, it's similar principles to heating up a, heating up a, you know, a, a pot of oatmeal, <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, you know, you know, or like spaghetti, you know, it's like a lot of people know how to boil the water, but a lot of people don't know how to turn the heat down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And you know, it's a lot of that <laughs> and it's, and it's about eight hours of that, um, you know, and, but okay and it's uh so it's different though the reason you know the reason that the the things are done in copper pot stills i've done i've done quite a bit of research about this but um the the wider surface area on the bottom and the heat being applied directly to that uh in terms of chemistry it uh it uh prioritizes the cooking and uh of of um of heavier essential oils rather than um prioritizing the efficient extraction of ethanol which a column still does right um but now what we're talking about when we ha when we're talking about essential oils and that final distillate and that i mean that's flavor right so when he, christopher 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 loves giving this 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 talk and i learned this from him but when you distill a spirit um what, what you you know or alcohol or ethanol what you want is pretty much uh, a clean a clean um you know uh, distribution of ethanol and water in in that final distillate um and then everything else in that is esters and essential oils but that's where your flavor resides and you know and we're not we, you know we don't make whiskey that relies upon um a barrel to impart flavor on it our whiskeys have our, our new make has 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 abundant flavor in it um our rye's kind of weird <laughs> i wouldn't drink our rice <laughs> i wouldn't drink our rye unaged but our bourbon unaged is honestly one of the most delightful uh spirits i've ever i've ever tasted in my life uh i love it with strawberry lemonade <laughs> and uh our, our new make bourbon but um you know, and, and that's, you know, that's what you're getting with a lot of, uh, I, you know, our, our, our primary still is actually an old brandy still. And 
and that's what that's you know that's what uh you know sellers of brandy are are are, are looking at are looking for too or is the you know a, a higher concentration of the esters and the essential oils present in their primary uh in their in their primary wine there and uh yeah and so that's why uh we go through the painstaking absurdly hot and uh inefficient method of uh cooking our whiskey with a with a direct fire it's and and it's a you know it breaks down the chemistry i mean it's just it's it's just chemical reactions that happen with a different shape of cooking vessel and a different application of heat prioritizing different components in your final product and uh and yeah and and that's why a lot of uh you know a lot of the like i think you know scottish distilleries uh distilleries in scotland use both because you know they want um you know they want to you know they use the column to uh uh to uh to uh prioritize um the yield that they get and then they use the pot still to prioritize the extraction of those essential oils into their final product but yep so for you are you so you're going to the first distillation um do you do a you know double distillation uh for this for the distillation do you end up doing a double distillation with like a, a stripping run first and then a spirit run yes yeah yes and our first distillation is the product is a is a low wine it's uh it's a disgustingly oily very greasy uh liquid that smells like socks and uh soy sauce and fritos and feet Those super it's, uh it's super a, it, fusel oil heavy i'm sure oh yeah i mean it's oh, yeah. it's it's wonder it's like an intoxicating aroma i absolutely love it it's one of my favorite smell it's one of my favorite things to smell it's like such it, for me it's like you know it, it lets me know that i've done a good job <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, and, look distillers they have a reason why they uh why they don't sell the low wines right why they do that second distillation <laughs> or third in some cases <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah it's good stuff it's strong it is a strong aroma too i tell you what but it'll last it'll stay with you it stays with you it really does <laughs> like like you're saying though that shows that you're you're getting those you're getting all the flavor compounds oh yeah that are coming through all the, especially those heavy oils that normally just kind of stick at the bottom if you heat it too quickly oh yeah Yep, yep. And no oh, man, they come out thick too. It's like I mean, it's like globs of the stuff, you know. But that that all gets uh that all gets, you know, that all gets dispersed in evenly in the second distillate in the spirit run. Yeah. So Right. And I and I can confirm in case anyone was not clear about this, the final product does not taste like feet or soy sauce or anything like that. So <laughs> clearly getting that out of there, thankfully. But um, it's still, we don't really talk about that interim step. It's usually just, you know, you go through the double distillation and don't taste or smell what is in the middle. And Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, I don't think we've ever talked about that. So nice. yeah. All right. So you, so we go through the spirit run comes off the still 
Uh, what are you coming off the still at? Like 110 ish, 115? Oh, no, that's not right. What am I saying? Sorry, I, I'm confusing. I'm, I should have asked, what are you coming off the still at? And then what are you barrel at? Oh, uh, we're coming off the spirit still. Um, I mean, the, 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 I think the median of it is usually like 130, and then we barrel at 105. Yeah. So, min- min- very minimal addition of water. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it makes so much more sense to me to add that water before barreling because you know the like the, the the dispersion of those essential oils that we're talking about right um they uh you know when it when, when you blend them with that water first and give it like a good you know a good bit of time for the spirit and the water to like really actually blend together um you know the the way the carbon molecules like in that barrel are bonding uh to the to, to the ethanol to the to those essential oils in the spirit, um, you know, is carrying over into that water that's present as well. And so, you know, removing it from the barrel when it's ready to be removed and adding that much less just plain water to the to the final product, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, wait, other people don't use that do this. And how much how much have I spent on whiskey in my life that's like literally like a lot of water in it you know um you know it's 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 like it's a it it, it seems like it was always a secret (laughs) like it was like it was a scam and uh you know but i don't know i think that's a (laughs) that's a pretty good reason to drink good whiskey though you know (laughs) or figure out how to well you know what 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 whiskey's like real whiskey what what whiskey's uh you know a little bit less water than uh than other ones so sure i mean a 105 entry is gonna that's gonna put you towards the the bottom in terms of like entry proofs i mean makers 110 peerless and mictors i think are 103 um there's one at 107 that i can't remember i just looked it up and then and the empire uh rye regulation is actually 115 so no higher than 115 Right, so they're they're wanting to keep it lower, and uh, as you kind of mentioned, like keep the flavor, put the water in at the beginning, so you're so the water gets just as much flavor as the alcohol in there, and it all blends together rather than diluting it at the end. Absolutely, and diluting it with less just plain water. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, all right. So you go into the barrel, one hundred five. Uh, what size barrel? You generally uh, use oh we use uh, we we use a number of sizes we use we use thirties and fifties and then all of our uh all of our cast finished single barrels uh ha- have been finished in uh the seventy two cast sizes yeah gotcha so that's like two two fifty yeah something like two hundred fifty liters. <laughs> Oh, this, yeah. this is like in my in my head at or no 300 whatever i'll figure it out that's <laughs> yeah i think that's, that's what it i, I think, think it's about 250 it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. 53 gallons about 200 liters so that yeah so that makes sense about 250 so a little larger but not yeah but we're not talking a port pipe like 700 liter size no. 
no, no, yeah, no, um, no, no. <laughs> th- those are just our set. Those are just our second. Those are just our uh, cask finishes. You know, those are just the the ones, we, the second useful ones we get from Europe. Um, you know, we had we've had a few of those now. We've got the Pedro Jimenez, the cognac finish, the Madeira cask finish, and the Sauterne finish. The Amontillado. Yeah, yeah. Big casks. Big casks. Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, when I was there, I got to try the uh, Sauterne, the Madeira, and Cognac finish. Nice. And so the Sauterne was finished, was uh, used the classic Empire Straight Rye Mash Bill. Mm-hmm. That was the, one of the things that I remember you, um, it was, this was really helpful actually in tasting. Sure. And, where you said like try this one try the original rye and then try this finish and then go back and try the other um base rye if you will right the rye malt right the rye malt and go back to the other finishes because they're going to be different and that helped a lot because it otherwise they just get mashed up yeah, no pun intended. It would just get mashed up in my brain. There's so, a lot of fla- there's a lot of flavor yeah. there, man. Like, I mean, there's so much different flavors like going on in like those different cast finishes. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I have it. Somebody asked, you know, it's like somebody will ask me how, it, how what one of them tastes like, and I'm just like, oh man, I haven't even tried that one in like months because it's like, you know, I'll, I'll fall into the, I'll just fall into them. You know what I mean? And and it's like it takes it takes a we can really take your time with like <laughs> with these different cast finishes and uh you know really take your time to explore like what's in them and in, in each one individually because there's each one just has so much so much to offer but and with the with using the different cast finishes for different mash bills what was if, if you were there at the time, like what was the process for choosing which one would match up with which finishing cask? Like, was there I a have no test idea. period? Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I had nothing to do with that. Yeah. I, I think, think uh, no, just... feel, you know, I feel like, you know, so much stuff like that happens is like, is like, well, this is ready. You know what I mean? So like, this is what we're going to use. Um, you know, is there enough of it? Yes. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, I feel like, I mean, it was probably, I, 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 like, I, I couldn't speak to Christopher's, like, selection um, uh, de- decision-making uh, process, but, you know, I mean, it was probably more or less like, oh, these guys, these, these, these things are ready. Let's get this in here before these, you know, before these casts start to, you know, sit out sit in the heat or the cold any longer and uh yeah i mean it was probably <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like use what you got most of the time but uh you know i i, I can't i can't imagine it was far off from that though but, yeah. that makes sense uh so that brings actually to the last uh product that i had on here to talk about which is the bontaku crag it's 100 percent rye um and mashed rye 100 percent yes. mashed Right. Malted, so, uh, uh, malted uh, rye, sorry. 20%, yes. 20% malted rye. Uh, right. And uh, yeah, yeah, 80% rye. Yep. So, what is a Bontaku Crag? Oh, it's, uh, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, 
it's the uh the ridge line that's directly behind the uh the distillery yeah uh, it's okay. part of the Shuangunk uh, mountain ridge it's a it's a geological feature that was cut out by glaciers many tens of thousands of years ago yeah and uh so you know it's a it's a long long line of these ridges that kind of they're kind of like waves across the you know across the across the skyline there and uh yeah the bonnie creek crag is one of the one of the larger ones one of the three main 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 crags of uh of the shuangunk ridge line world-class world-class uh mountain climbing here i was uh in 2010 i went to uh europe to attend some literary conferences and i was in austria and everybody there knew about new pulse <laughs> because <laughs> everybody in austria evidently comes to new pulse to go mountain climbing i was uh i was i was uh i was very surprised but yeah <clears throat> learned something new every day wouldn't have expected yeah. that yeah awesome well you know aaron i you know thank you so much for coming on talk about just copper seed talk more about this distillery i'm all for promoting talking about new york distilleries oh yeah um, not just from the city of course up the valley upstate region of course i'm sure you know to born and bred long islander everything above rockland is upstate to me but well sure well yeah. i love everything down in the city too and on long yeah. island, i love new york <laughs> i love new york alcohol <laughs> I love uh, me york. too me too beers ciders spirits and everything in between uh Oh, thank so, you. Dave. It's uh, it's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, as usual, in the show notes, we'll put all the links to uh, social media, to uh, the website where you can find Coppercy uh, near you if you go, want to go to visit. Uh, you can do mountain climbing and drink some whiskey. I would advise it in that order, but I'm not a doctor. Um, and <laughs> either way, take a, take a visit up there. You're going to find some really great stuff up the valley and Copper Sea is going to be one of the first ones you hit. So, um, Aaron, hang on with me just for a sec before we close out. And thanks everyone for listening. This has been a new episode of the Whiskering Podcast. See you next week. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps or email me at david at whiskeymywedderingcom with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyinmywedding That's whiskey with an E for as little as a dollar a month. $5 a month gets you access to bonus content, including our soon to resume under the influencer series. And $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or at Whiskering Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Whiskey Ring. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers Group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.